Welcome to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm going to discuss a topic we first aired a while back, one that maybe you've never heard anyone take on, and that is a biblical view of success. You know, I looked up some anonymous quotes on the topic of success because I didn't want to go after an individual. I want to go after a worldview issue because so many of us fall into believing these kind of statements. Choice, not circumstances, determine your success. Uh, Be self-reliant and your success is assured. Act as though it is impossible to fail. Well, I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I have hung on to these little success nuggets, these little pithy sayings that seem to be so right on and really resonate to get you motivated to be successful in life. And I believe that we have the wrong view of success. Uh, Many times what we're taught by the world is that man is the cause and creator of success. But today I wanna make a case that it is not man that's the cause of success, but that it is God who is the cause and creator of success. You know, if you've been taught to believe that you're responsible for your own success in life, that's absolute humanism. And if you've been taught to believe that you can only be successful at managing your finances by what you learn to do by your own personal skill, that's humanism. Because if you don't see God as the cause and creator of success in life, then you're trapped by a humanistic philosophy. And the scripture says, don't be taken captive by the hollow philosophy of self-help, of success and motivation. Now, it doesn't say it exactly like that, but I think this is one of those topics that should be included in Paul's warning. Because so often we take this success, motivation, and self-help stuff, and we cloak it in nice Christian verbiage. In fact, we take scripture, and we take them out of context, and then we try to sell and package self-help, humanism, as if it were God's idea. And so today, I'm going to take it on. But the way I'm going to take it on is to not to tell you my formulas for success or self-help or how to get yourself motivated. But I want to go into the scripture and look at what God says about success. What is success? How is it achieved? And how is God involved? And what's his part? And what is your part? Well, you're listening to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and we'll be right back. It's unlike anything you've ever experienced. We have come to collect your husband's debt. My husband is dead and I have nothing. Crown Financial Ministries is proud to introduce God Provides, a new film learning experience featuring Golden Globe nominee, Dean Jones. Through epic storytelling, this series of six short films presents timeless illustrations of God's never failing ability to provide for his people. See the hand of God at work in engaging biblical stories that remain true even today in making life decisions. With each film, you'll receive a companion guide with discussion questions and activities to use with your family or a group. God Provides is available now at crown.org or by calling 1-800-722-1976. To learn more about the films, visit crown.org forward slash God Provides.
Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and today we're going deep on the topic of a biblical view of success. My premise today is that many people get trapped in the world's philosophy of success, especially when we talk about financial success. But we're going to take a look at the references to the word success in the Scripture and see what we can learn together about how God defines success, what's His part, and what's your part. Now, here's the fascinating thing about this very first reference. It's in Genesis chapter 24, and it's the story of when Abraham wanted to find a wife for Isaac. Now, he set up some really specific parameters. Uh, First of all, he wanted a wife for Isaac that was from his own clan, someone who he was related to. In other words, he wanted another Jew for Isaac to have as a wife. And then secondly, she had to come from her country into the country where Isaac was living. It was very specific that Isaac could not go and live in her country. So it was a very important task. It wasn't just go find any wife. It was to find a wife that will carry on the family lineage of God's people. And it was very important to Abraham that the right wife be chosen. And so what did he do? He did something very unusual. He assigned the task to his servant. He farmed that responsibility out to somebody who you have to ask yourself, was this person just a natural matchmaker? Was he just really good at finding wives? Was he just the right personality? Had he read all the self-help books? Was he going to go on the speaking circuit, maybe appear on a talk show and say, look at what a great wife finder I am. No, God put it in the hands of somebody who couldn't take credit for it. This is a person who is unnamed in the scripture. Now listen to the scenario. Abraham was old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now the servant asked him, what if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? He's not real sure of his success. How about you? Now, think about it, especially if you're a guy. Have you ever gone up to someone and said, hey, I've got somebody that you don't know. They live in a foreign land, and I'd like you to come with me so you can marry them. Are you kidding? People won't even do that after they get to know each other over the Internet taking a personality test. I mean, this is an impossible-sounding task. And he's saying, what's going to happen to me if I can't fulfill this vow? He said, can I take your son back to the country you came from? In other words, it probably is going to work better if I can take the person she's going to marry with me. And Abraham said, make sure you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now listen to this. Then he prayed, O 
Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. And so this servant who said he would do his part in a desire to be successful, ask for God's direction and help for his success. He cried out from the depths of his soul, Oh, Lord God, God of my master, give me success today. And then you know the rest of the story. He asked God for a specific sign. And after making this journey with great trepidation and fear, Rebecca, this beautiful, wonderful woman comes and she fulfills the sign. And so he tells her, I think you're it. I think you're the one that God wants to marry Isaac. And then there's one more problem. Her brother, Laban, he wants to come and check this out. Now, can you imagine that conversation? Uh, Hello, I'm here to get your sister to see if she can go back to another land to marry somebody that you don't know. How awkward that would be. But listen what he told Laban. He said, look, I made a vow to my master. I'm just the servant. And he said, I asked God for help. And I asked Abraham, what would happen if I weren't successful? And Abraham told me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. And then he goes on to say, when I came to this spring today, I prayed again, O Lord God of my master Abraham, will you please grant success to the journey on which I have come? So the first reference to success in the scripture was this impossible task performed by a no-named chief servant of Abraham who could not take credit for it, who knew that if he were to be successful, it would come because God granted him success, that his angels went before him and made it obvious through a sign that God was involved in the outcome of this journey. And so what would you say if that had been your task? Would you write a book and say, wow, it's time to get on the press circuit. It's time to go and tell people just how crafty and clever I was. I'd memorized all the little pithy quotes and sayings about how successful I was going to be and how important I was going to be in the eyes of the world after this. Do you know what he said when Laban said, please stay with me a while? He looked at Laban and he said these words, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. I think there's a picture here of our personal journey that God sends us on a task to represent him, to build up his body, and to represent his interest in his kingdom, and to not take credit for what happens, and to not go around looking for how we can be built up and how we can take credit for all that God does. And he wants this very same testimony to come from our lips. Whatever has happened in my life, whatever good and favorable has come upon me, it has been the Lord God who has granted me success. That's not humanism, that's faith. And that's what God expects for all of us. Well, we're going to talk more about success from a biblical point of view when we come back. You're listening to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. We'll be right back. Are you over 50 and thinking about retirement? 
if you want to actually experience retirement one day, you have to plan for it. And we have a book that'll tell you how. It's Your Money After the Big 5-0, written by Crown Financial Ministries co-founder Larry Burkett and financial planner Ron Blue. Your Money After the Big 5-0 will equip you with biblical wisdom and practical advice for succeeding in the second half of life, having a fully funded retirement, and being free to serve the Lord. And you'll learn about the importance of finishing strong and leaving a legacy of stewardship to your children and grandchildren. If you're ready to put together a financial plan for a retirement that'll honor God and give you wealth at last, get a copy of Your Money After the Big 5-0 right now at crown.org. Your Money After the Big 5-0 by Larry Burkett and Ron Blue is available online at crown.org. That's crown.org. Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and today we're talking about a biblical view of success. I think we get very confused about this topic, and I think so often what we very easily and subtly get tied into is a form of humanism that's cloaked in Christianity, where we believe that success is totally dependent upon us, and that success is something, if it is achieved, that we are so eager to take credit for. But I believe God's Word points out over and over and over again that any success we have comes at the hand of the Lord, that God is the author and the cause and the creator of success. And we are not successful unless we're following what He has given us to do and living according to His ways and His wisdom, and then also giving Him credit for what does happen. And the world wants to strip God out of every single part of that equation, that they want to say, you're responsible for success, and you get to take the credit for any success that you have in life. But I want us to examine carefully another example in the Scripture where the word success is used. And to me, this one breaks every single paradigm you've probably ever been taught, because it's in Genesis chapter 39, and it's the continuing story of Joseph's life. Now, Joseph had been rejected by all of his family members. He was hated. He was thrown in a well and ultimately sold as a slave by his own family members. Now, I think that would qualify as family dysfunction. I don't know about you, but I would feel a great deal of rejection and a loss of self-image. I wouldn't feel like I was a success. And then he gets into Egypt, and Potiphar takes him in, gives him some responsibility in this foreign land. Again, another example of God's servant in a foreign land being used effectively for God's purposes. But Potiphar's wife sets him up, basically frames him, and he gets falsely accused of sexual misconduct. Now, that would be a bad day. If it were me, I'm thinking, I'm not feeling too successful one more time in my life. All the success tapes that I've listened to about my confidence and my positive attitude and all the things I've been taught don't seem to be working out real well. I don't know why this happened, but I'm in a really bad spot. I'm now in prison in Egypt. Now, I just can't imagine that that was a real, nice, comfortable place to be. I can imagine in those days, it was a very unpleasant experience. But I want you to listen to this. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There's the word again. The Lord gave Joseph success in whatever he did. So imagine he wrote home this letter. Dear mom and dad, I know that this may not make you really proud, but I'm here in an Egyptian prison. I've been falsely accused of sexual misconduct, but let's not talk about that. But what I really want you to know is the warden likes me a lot. Now, does that sound like he's going to make the success and motivation speaking circuit from an Egyptian prison falsely accused and he's being shown favor by the warden? I just don't think that's going to make late night TV infomercials where you're going to buy many of those tapes. Hey, you can be successful with the prison warden. Once you get falsely accused, you're going to do great. But you see, that's not God's definition of success. That idea that he's going to make lemonade out of lemons, that's not at all what Joseph was experiencing. He was experiencing God's favor in the midst of very unfavorable circumstances. And success was because God was with him and God was directing his steps, and God was allowing everyone around him to see that he was a faithful person, and that he was wise, and that he was responsible with whatever assignment he had, even if it were looking after other prisoners who were probably not real easy to manage. But Joseph was faithful with whatever he had been given. Now, remember this. In the rest of Joseph's story, When he finally saw his brothers again, the very people who rejected him, he said this, you intended it for evil, but I changed my circumstances and with a positive mental attitude, I have become the most important person in all of Egypt and you should bow down to me because I am now a big deal and a success in the world and I have power and control over you and look at what's happened to me. You shouldn't have ever done that to me. That's not at all what Joseph said. He knew where his success came from. He never forgot it. And he said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. My life has been used for good. It's successful because God is in control of it. It's not successful because he became a big deal in Egypt. It's not successful because he was rich or powerful. He was successful because he was faithful to God. And he knew God was the cause and the creator of his success, that his path in life was pretty jagged, that he had had what many would call miserable failures and setbacks. How many of you have been completely rejected by your own family? How many of you have been sold into prison in a foreign land? How many of you have been falsely accused and put in a prison in that country and got left there thinking this is going to be the end result of my life? I'm going to rot in this prison, but I've got God's favor. That's not what most people call success, but Joseph did. And Joseph was successful. And you're successful when you're wise and when you're faithful and when you give credit to God for dealing with the circumstances that you're in. Well, we're going to talk more about this topic today. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about this one. You're listening to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. We'll be right back.
You know, God encourages us to invest, and He says in Ecclesiastes 11.2 to spread out or diversify to lower our risk. And one of the best ways to diversify is mutual funds. That's why Crown Financial Ministries offers the Sound Mind Investing Handbook, a step-by-step guide to managing your money from a biblical perspective written by Austin Pryor. Recently updated to address timely topics, the Sound Mind Investing Handbook is one of the most comprehensive guides available on mutual fund investing. Yet, it's still easy to understand and use. And since this handbook is written from a biblical perspective, it'll teach you how to apply God's financial principles to your investing decisions. So whether you're a beginning investor or one with more experience, the Sound Mind Investing Handbook will help you invest more wisely. To get a copy, go to crown.org or call 1-800-722-1976. That's 1-800-722-1976 or crown.org. Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and today we're taking a biblical look at the word success and trying to understand what true success really is from God's perspective. If we take a look at the life of David in 1 Samuel 18, listen to these words. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success. And here's the reason. Listen to this word. Don't miss this one. Because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. But why was David successful? Because God was with him. You know, I saw a bumper sticker just the other day that said, if God is your co-pilot, why don't you switch seats? (laughs) And I think in a simple way, I'm trying to ask you to do the same thing today. Have you been in charge of your finances? Have you set goals and failed to meet them? Have you created a mess of your financial situation? And have you felt defeated because all those self-help tapes and motivational seminars and late-night TV programs just haven't worked for you? Well, I do believe it's time to consider who's in charge and what is real success. Look at your finances. Has someone convinced you that you're the solution to your financial problems? Has someone convinced you that money is the solution to your financial problems? You know, I believe wholeheartedly that the root of the problem lies right there. Because if somehow someone has taught you that it's all up to you, then you've been trapped by what I call the hollow and deceptive philosophy of humanism. We should all live in despair If the very people who got us into a mess are now responsible for getting us out of the mess, we need help. We need God to intervene. And we need to see that God has a part in directing our steps. And we need to surrender control. And we also need to be prepared to give him complete and absolute credit. If you've been financially successful, if you've had the things in life, if you've made wise and skillful decisions, if you've been responsible and faithful, then give him the credit for it and never stand in front of people and say, look at what I've done. 
because therein is the trap. Real success is being faithful to God and giving Him credit. He wants you to turn to Him. Well, I'm far from through in talking about all the examples where the scriptures talk about success. So we're going to continue tomorrow. I hope you'll come back and join us again. I'm Chuck Bentley, and you've been listening to Money Life 